I took today's sermon title from that beautiful hymn about becoming a saint. And then I ran out of time to, I was going to tell you how to become a saint, what you have to do to be a saint. And I had it all worked out in my mind. And then as I worked on the sermon, it just didn't work. And so I changed the sermon title. And so if it matters to you, and it probably doesn't, but it matters to Amy and me to have the right sermon title for the sermon. So I changed the sermon. You could still be a saint. Read the hymn. Figure out how to be a saint. That would be a wonderful thing. The sermon is entitled, We Are, We, period, are, period. You need to get the sermon title right. This morning, Dan and I were at Hope Chapel, the uh, chapel for the homeless men uptown. We always have a couple women there. There were nine people sitting outside on the street in front of Hope Chapel. That's how they're worshiping these days. They were all uh, in their mask and sitting there, and we sang a few good old Baptist hymns, and then I stood to preach, and I said, we're children of God. And you always get response from this crowd, and they said, amen, that's right. And I said, do you believe we're all children of God? Yes, sir, amen, that's right. Well, by the end, Mo didn't believe we were all children of God, and he got up and left. Mo preaches a little bit every Sunday that we're there. It's a kind of rambly kind of sermon, but he has to get it in before we start, you know. And uh, so Mo, by the end of the sermon, he didn't believe we're all children of God, and so he got up and left. I hope you won't get up and leave. I believe we are all children of God. It may be the biggest word in human vocabulary in any language. In English, it only takes two letters to form the one little syllable, but we is a big word, maybe the biggest of all. And this very little, very big word is one that the Christian church has not fully embraced. We are God's beloved children. Not we Baptists, not we Christians, not we liberals, not we Americans, not we Caucasians, not we the rich, the educated, the majority. We are. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Beloved, we are God's children. Now, I understand that a cynic might hear this text and criticize it as being maybe too sentimental. Oh, God loves me. Look how important I am. In view of the infinite material universe, that does put a lot of emphasis on me, doesn't it? I understand that theology, not just Christian theology, But any systematic attempt to understand God can oversimplify things, domesticating God in the process, suggesting we have a complete understanding of who God is, reducing God to some personal deity, the man upstairs, our buddy in the sky we can call on to take care of all of our personal wants. All of that might be a valid critique of this text. But in a world of hurting children, I will take that scrutiny any day. If there's anything the children of the world need to hear, it is you are a child of God. You are loved. You are forgiven. So be at peace. They say hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. You know, people that are hurt 
end up turning around and hurting other people. And there are a lot of neglected, abused, hurting children in our world. Hurt children may never really grow up, and they can take their pain, their stunted views of self and others, their broken understandings of love and loyalty. They can take their inability to love others because no one ever really loved them. Hurt children often take their hurt into the adult bodies they never fully comfortably inhabit. Hurt people hurt people. Now, of course, if you think you are God's gift to the world, that's a problem also. But I doubt many people arrive at that kind of arrogance from reading this text from 1 John. Now, they may, may read some egotism into a text from Scripture, but I doubt being told God loves you has ever been it caused enough arrogance to make someone dangerous. So we can handle the, the cynic, cynical criticism of romanticizing God. I don't know of anything that could change the world more than teaching children that they actually matter. Have you told your child today, you are loved? I might go so far as to adopt the view of Voltaire, the prolific French philosopher, who said if God did not exist, it would be necessary for us to invent God because children need love. And in order to truly understand it, the world needs God's love. The writer of 1 John makes the clear a message that we need to be shouting from the rooftops. See what love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God. Beloved, we are God's children. We are. Now, to be fair, and I hope you all understand that I try to be fair when interpreting Scripture. There are those who would say the we in this text just means we Christians. Now, the letter is addressed to a Christian community, and there are some who say the we in the text means we who properly understand and believe. It's not referring to all people. Not even to all people who claim to be Christian. We means proper, properly believing Christians. To be fair, there are many who believe you are not a child of God until you believe the right things in the right ways in the right churches. I just believe the truth is broader than that. So much deeper than my own understanding the reality is that while I have thought deeply about what I believe, have specifically confirmed the faith my parents gave to me, the honest truth is that I believe what I believe largely because of who those parents were. Had I been born in Calcutta or Kabul or Beijing, I would very likely be making this point as a Hindu or a Muslim or a Buddhist. The Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists that I know, along with the Baptists I respect, the Catholics, the Mormons, the Baha'is, even the Unitarians who still speak of God, they all believe we are God's children. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are, children of God. Every last 
one of us. They cross the border every day. Children. Some may have walked as much as 2,000 miles seeking safety. Some have fled war-torn countries. Some are running from gangs whose violence is empowered by the lucrative drug industry that is largely fueled by demand from the United States. Ironic, isn't it? They're running for safety from the violence ultimately created in their countries by the nation where they are seeking that safety. Some are just running from aching poverty, the hopelessness and helplessness that such poverty creates in children of all ages. When they arrive, if they arrive, they are too often met with scorn and derision, treated like criminals, cursed and shunned children, children of God. Now we cannot know who many of their parents are, where their parents are. Does it matter? How could that matter? These children arrive dirty and hungry and afraid. They've been manipulated on all sides, used as pawns by the so-called coyotes who promise safe travel and often charge exorbitant fees, sometimes selling them into indentured servitude in order to pay for their passage. And they've been treated as pawns by an angry and broken political system that seeks power and advantage rather than the ideals of a nation founded on the daring vision of the welcome of the immigrant. Our problems with immigration are deep and wide. There are lots of moving parts. There are booby traps and barbed wire everywhere. There are no easy answers. But it is the kind of problem that ought to bring out the best in us. It ought to bring the best minds of this nation together because of the children. It's the kind of problem we ought to demand be fixed no matter how long we had to stay at the table of give and take. Political leaders ought to debate the issues long and hard. They ought to fight tooth and nail. But for people of faith, Muslim and Jew and Unitarian and Baha'i and Christian, there can be only one response, compassion. Wouldn't it be amazing if the Church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America demanded that we lead with compassion when we see the children looking for safe haven. Now let the politicians fix the problem any way they can compromise it, but Christian people ought to demand that we lead with the compassion of Jesus, who said it would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Where is the compassion of the American Christian church? These are children of God. Is it any wonder that in the latest Gallup poll, the poll has shown that for the first time since it has asked this question, less than 50% of Americans have any church affiliation at all. We have to lead with compassion Otherwise, there's no need for the church to exist.
God leads with compassion. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. Children of God. And every 45 seconds, one of them attempts to take her own life. Every 45 seconds. We have lumped them together in an alphabet soup now called LGBTQIA. Out of our penchant to label and identify, to otherize, to other as a verb, to other and separate them, we have stigmatized these children of God to the point that every 45 seconds one of them attempts to end his own life. LGBTQIA, lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender, queer, intersexual, asexual. If you have trouble with any of that, please consider the startling fact that 2,000 babies are born in this country every year whose gender cannot be determined by a visual examination. 2,000 babies are born every year who cannot be classified by the binary assumption of female or male just by looking at their beautiful naked little bodies. Yes, I do know that the Bible says God made them male and female, but apparently it's not that easy. Some children are born with chromosomes XX that makes them female, some XY that makes them male, and some children are born with XX and XY chromosomes, and some with XXY chromosomes, and some with internal organs suggesting one gender and external genitalia suggesting another. The endless variety is anything but binary, just male and female. These children of God are born beautifully, sexually diverse, beyond the statistical norm but not at all unnatural or perverse. Out of our need to make them conform to our binary comfort, however, since at least the 1950s, doctors have performed so-called gender-normalizing surgeries, which force our discomfort with their diversity onto their little bodies and into the psyches of these beautiful children. 2,000 intersex children are born every year. Many are raised never having been told about the surgery that created them male or female. And they grow up having to face a world that constantly tells them who they should be, just male or female. With no understanding of why such psychic confusion might exist within their own minds and souls and bodies. And yes, I know this is complicated too. I know it's very complicated. I know the issues that school administrators face are confounding. I know that making decisions for public facilities is about as complex as it gets. But rather than acknowledge the reality and embrace the children, rather than embrace the children and do our best to tackle the problem. We lean back on old comforts 
and demand conformity. PBS News reported this month that in the last year, 30 state legislatures have proposed at least 115 bills limiting the rights of transgender Americans. Limiting the rights of children. As the nation becomes more diverse and as we grudgingly acknowledge the diversity that we have always been, fear is gripping too many. And the fear is at the heart of every controversy that is threatening to undo us today, from race to immigration to transgender rights to voting rights to the future of the church itself, fear. If we could only see what love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Now, you don't have to understand. I don't understand. And you can stake your policy positions from whichever side of the aisle forms your own bias. But people of faith must lead with compassion. Beloved, we are children of God, every last one of us. I told you, we is a big word. It was about this point that Mo got up and walked out. Andrew Young was a young husband and father as the civil rights movement was heating up. After a trip to Albany one day, Young and his wife with their three-month-old son were returning when the traffic slowed as they entered one little town. Once they got in town, the young black couple found a hundred people around the town square wearing white sheets and pointy hats. Andrew Young and his wife and their three-month-old child were stuck in the middle of a KKK rally in Doe Run, Georgia. The rally was moving toward Thomasville, Georgia, ironically because Andrew Young himself had been the one to post the signs promoting a voter registration drive that the KKK feared. And as the car came to a stop, Young told his wife he was going to get out of the car and try to reason with these people. When I heard Andrew Young tell this story at a Baptist meeting, he grinned just a little bit when he said, you know, my wife was a country girl, and when we were dating, sometimes we'd go out in the backyard and we'd shoot tin cans, and she was a pretty good shot. So Andrew Young said to his wife, I'm going to get out of this car. You point that gun at him, and then I can reason with him as a brother, because if he takes me out, you take him out. To her credit, Jean Young knew that peace through strength is not the way of Jesus. And she said, I am not going to do that. I will not point a gun at another human being. Andrew Young said he shot back at his wife. That's not a human being. That's the Ku Klux Klan. Her next words set the preacher and activist back on his heels. He said he had never forgotten them. They guided the rest of his life and his work. Look, she said, don't you forget it. Under that sheet is the heart of a child of God. If you don't believe in what you preach, we need to quit right now. If Gene and Andrew Young can recognize the child of God, I 
I didn't know this was going to happen three times today. If Gene and Andrew Young can recognize the child of God under a KKK hood, we ought to be able to show compassion to anyone. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I've told you many times, and I mean it every time I say it, that I love my job. I really think it's the best job in the world. And one of my favorites of all the favorite moments is when we have a baby dedication. Amy and I are looking forward to doing that one day, maybe soon, being able to get some of these babies that have been born this year and taking them in our arms and walking down the aisle and introducing them to their new church and introducing you to them. We take them out, and when we come back, we get to the front, and the blessing we offer is about as hakuna matata as it gets for these two Baptist ministers. Now, if you don't know the movie The Lion King, you don't know hakuna matata But we get to the front and we call the child's name and we say these words, by this act of dedication, we welcome you to a journey that will take your whole life. Where life will take you, we don't know. How life will surprise you, we cannot say. This we do know and this we say, God is with you. And then like old Rafiki from the Lion King, raising up little Simba, that newly baptized lion club, we hold up the child and we say, you are a child of God. Everybody needs to hear those words. You are a child of God. Now maybe you need to be the one to offer those words this week to the immigrant, to the transgender neighbor, to the panhandler on the street, the Muslim activist, the guy in the MAGA hat, the protester in the Black Lives Matter t-shirt. Can you say it? You are a child of God to your friend, to your neighbor, to your enemy. You are a child of God. Can you say it? See what love the Father has for us that we should be called children of God. For that is what we are. May it be so.